0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to go ahead and get started this morning, and I've got a question for us this morning. It's this. Why did Jesus come to earth? You don't have to answer out loud. But why did Jesus come to earth? What are some of the first things that come to mind? There's, there's two main points that I want to look at today of why Jesus came to earth. And um, let's, let's start that right now. Number one, to save us. How many could agree with that? I think most of us would say, yeah, Jesus came to save us. In fact, we have it on the screen. So if you didn't know the answer, it's right there. But again, why did Jesus come to earth? Number one, to save us. Now, this is a really familiar scripture in John 3, 16. And I always like to read 17 with 16 because how many know that as how many know this that the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses? I mean, these were letters, these were accounts, and so you know, I've never written a letter, I've never written to somebody and put, you know, verse 1, verse 2. But in this in this case, I think you need to read 16 and 17 together to get context. Let's read it together. Ready, go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. I love 17. Some translations say that God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Now that's really interesting to me because I've heard a lot of gospel messages since my childhood of judgment and condemnation. I mean, how do we miss these things? I'm talking to myself. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn or judge the world. In fact, at one point, Jesus said that the Father has given me the authority to judge. And then Jesus turns around and says, and I judge no one. What? What? that really radically can change the way you think, right? The first thing we think is, well, what, nothing matters? Like, what we do doesn't matter? Of course it matters. But, but the way to change you and your actions and what you do and how you think is not through judgment, it's through love and grace and changing your heart. Once your heart changes, I mean, those things that you're already built to do, you're going to do. And so I don't have to be up here pointing fingers at you. All that does is make you be good when you're at church, and then go back out struggling with what you're still struggling with. Instead of changing your heart with the love and grace of the Father, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not thinking that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm reacting differently. What is going on? Your heart's being changed by love and grace. It's so awesome. But I love verse 16 here. Very famous. It might even be at the Lions game today in the end zone, John 3:16. For God so loved, I like that it said, so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever what? Believes in him. Neil, you, you don't walk in something unless you believe it, right? So whoever believes in, him, believes in him should not what? Perish, but have what? Eternal life. Now, we've talked about this idea of eternal life, right? In, in the first century, they weren't thinking afterlife. It actually, in the Greek, means age-lasting. It means the fullest and best life now. When Jesus was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life they weren't saying what must I do to go to heaven when I die they were saying what must I do to have the fullest life right now interesting right which brings us to this word perish for years I was like because it's easy to go well you're either going to die or you're going to live and go to heaven but look at this it says whoever believes in him should not perish this word perish in the Greek it means to be lost If you believe in him, you'll no longer be lost. In fact, in the definition is this word, reflexively. Can you say that with me? Reflexively, which I had to look up. It means without conscious thought or automatically. So think about this. When you believe on him, you won't go back to that automatic, without conscious thought reaction to life. Because there's a way that we go. Have you ever found yourself reacting a certain way to something and you think, Oh man, why am I acting like this? Because it's a habit, but it's not who you are. So he says, if you believe in me, we can say this, when you believe something, you walk in it. When you believe something, you follow that belief, right? So when you follow Jesus, he's trying to change our minds. He's trying to get us to stop being lost in our minds, to stop making these unconscious thoughts and automatically going a certain way. Why? So we can live this best life now, eternal life. Isn't that awesome? And look at this. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. You know what gave means in the Greek? It's the word didome, and it means this. To give one to someone to whom he already belonged. To return. That's powerful. To give one to someone to whom he already belonged. To return. Now, I know this is messing with our heads a little bit, but Listen, studying the Bible isn't when you read the English version of the Bible. I love that we have English versions and translations, but to really truly understand what was being said, you have to look at the original languages. Jesus came to show us who we were. Children of God, made in his image and likeness, but we had forgotten who we were. That's what the creation story is all about. They forgot who they were. And what did God do? Did he run away from them? No, he ran to them. He offered a sacrifice and he clothed them. And we see all through scripture, if you wanna base your life on scripture, we see all through scripture where God never left. He was always there. Was he always happy? Well, I mean, no, there were some bad decisions made. You know, when my kids make bad decisions that hurt them, I'm not happy with that decision, but I always love them. That's something that I had to make sure that I verbalized with my words to my children because it's so easy when you're just totally hacked off at your children to just really focus on what they did wrong and then maybe even treat them badly. Come on, am I the only one here? And it's so hard because you know they're better than that. You know that decision's hurting them. And so I've had to start, instead of projecting my anger toward them, I need to learn how to project my anger towards the decision because that's, what is causing them to go off track. And so I've had to verbalize and say, this action does not change my love for you. I always, always, always love you. We want our children to fly right, fly straight. It's your love that's gonna cause that. And I've learned that because of the love of the Father toward me. This is just huge. So number one, why did Jesus come to earth? To save us. Number two, And I believe this is probably even more important because it actually will get us to focus on the salvation. Because how many know salvation or being saved is preservation, safety, health, wholeness, deliverance. It's stuff we need now, right? So number two is this. Jesus came to this earth to reveal the Father to us. Jesus said this in John, or actually the Apostle John wrote this in his prologue to his gospel, he said this, no one has ever seen God, which is a pretty, pretty big statement, wouldn't you say? I mean, John, we know that others saw God, but what he's saying is they didn't see him completely. They saw glimpses. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the father. Tell him about Jesus. What has he done? He has made him known. See, Jesus came to reveal the father to us. Amen. And so this is this is a huge concept for us today. I want to kind of talk about this this morning this idea of God being our father. Now the word father here in the Greek is the word pater. Say pater. Here's what it means. It means origin. It means source. So, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you grew up in a home without a father. Maybe you never had a father figure. Maybe the father figure you had was just not a good father. And so when you see this or hear this concept of God as a father, you're like, Ugh, that doesn't go well with me. Well, maybe then you can call him mother. I mean, if you look at the attributes of God all through Scripture, it shows them as both male, female. And how many know he's neither? This is how we project right? Onto God so we can kind of get a sense of grasping onto him. So however you want to flow with that. But this word father is huge. So if you have an issue with father, how about this? Origin, source. Jesus is saying, listen, this is where you came from. This is your origin. This is your source. You know what else it means in the Greek? One who has infused his own spirit into others. I mean, I know that seems a little deep, but that's huge. See, God's not out here far away somewhere. He's in you. He's connected to you. He's your source. He's your origin. He's the one who has infused his own spirit into you. It goes on to say this, who actuates, or we could say causes to operate and governs, or we could say influences or steers their minds. Now think about this, as a parent, as a father, as a mother, don't we constantly work to steer our children, to influence them in such a way that they make better decisions, that they begin to see who they truly are and they make different choices. God does the same thing with us. It starts with him. He's our role model for that. So think about that. He came so that you might know who you truly are. That's good. Because for years I thought he came to show me how bad I was. And then he came to be, you know, I like what Jamie says, uh, some type of like, uh, you know, what, what's the, not pro, like Prozac for God so that he could appease him for a minute so he could be okay with us. Like God has to lean over on his nightstand because you know he uses glasses, right? He leans over his nightstand and he has to grab his Jesus glasses when you come into the room so you can go, okay, I'm okay with you now, I'm okay. Think about if you had two children and, and your youngest child comes in You have to get your older child to stand in front of them so you could talk to them. That's beautiful, isn't it? In family pictures, you put that young one behind the older one so you don't have to vomit every time you see it. I'm just telling you, sometimes the way that we portray God is just, it's ludicrous, it's ridiculous. I'm just telling you right now, maybe these are new concepts to you, but God loves you. He cares for you. Sure. Do we do things out of line of our character, which hurt us? Yep. And I'll tell you what, he's angry at that thing, but not you. If someone hurt my child, I wouldn't be mad at them. I'd be mad at the person who hurt them. Does that make sense? And so we have to see this correctly, or we won't see God correctly. He came that you might experience the abundant life of living as the apple of your Father's eye. So this concept of Father really matters, doesn't it? So this brings us to many important questions in life. Questions I believe that all of us have asked. How about this? Who am I? I've asked that question. Why am I here? You ever asked that question? How about this? What is life really about? I think we all have points in our life where we ask these questions. Questions of purpose, getting to know who we truly are. They're very important questions to ask. But I think the most important question you will ever ask is this one. Who is my father? How about this? Who is my origin? Who is my source? In the title of today's message, who is your daddy? You can laugh, it's okay. Who's your daddy? I want this to stick with you today. When you, when you go out and someone says, hey, did you go to church? Yeah, what'd they talk about? Uh, who's your daddy? What? A pastor said that from the pulpit? Yeah, who's your daddy? Who's your origin? Who's your source of being? Because your answer to this question will influence every other question of life. See, if we get the father question wrong, we miss it on every other issue. And your identity ends up being confused. And so Jesus answers the most important question, who's your father, with this answer, God is your father. Are you following me so far? Now can you imagine the shock of those who heard these words in the first century? Jews who wouldn't even say the name or write the name of God, let alone call him a father. He was Yahweh, he was the great mighty one, which of course we know that to be true, But Jesus was introducing us to something different. I mean, are you sure, Jesus? Surely you mean he's your father, but not mine. Yet in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus identifies God as your father and our father no less than 16 times. I think he was really trying to get this point across. Who is your origin? Who is your daddy? This was good news then, and it's good news now. The God of the universe is your daddy. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, this is one of the letters that the apostle John wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. He says this, "What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. Now how does he extend the love? How do we see it? Right here. We're called children of God. That's who you really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. Isn't that the truth? I mean, really, that's why Paul, you know, describes those who are lost as orphans. Orphans don't know who their family is. They don't know who their daddy is, right? But so so he's wanting us to walk not as orphans, but as sons and daughters, understanding who our origin is, who our daddy is. What is the name of God that Jesus wants us to glorify? Well, he tells us right here. It's Father. Now, he has other names, But this is the name he wants us to use when we talk to him, when we think about him, when we approach him. See, my purpose today is to draw your attention to God, and more importantly, to God as your father. This is the name that Jesus gave us, and it's the name we esteem above all other names because Jesus told us to. So we need to see God as Jesus did, as a father. Now, I know some of us are like, but pastor, there's so many different names. I mean, you're talking about the ancient of days. You're talking about the most high God. You're talking about the creator of the universe. I am. And he is all those things and more. Amen? I mean, I believe that God, in in my small span on this earth, in my small amount of time and relationship with the Father, truly beginning to understand I would say that he is magnificent beyond words. I would say that he's beautiful beyond compare. That's how I see him. That's why I follow him. That's why I choose to go the way of the kingdom. That's why I even stand up here on Sunday mornings. That's why I study during the week. I want you to grasp this and embrace this as well. But above all titles and all names, he is your father and he is your source. Think about this: He is your, or he is the one who has infused his own spirit into you. He is the one who causes you to operate and function. He's the one in whom you live, move and have your being. He's the one who influences our heart. But see, he's not going to force that on you. You have to be open to receive that. If we aren't aware, guess what? We won't walk in the fullness of this reality. Now if you look through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus mentions the kingdom about 106 times, and he mentions God, the Father, or as Father, about 175 times. So to me, this is a big deal to Jesus, both the Father and the kingdom. See, Father was the lens through which Jesus made sense of everything. For instance, when discussing the kingdom in Matthew 26, 29, he described it as my Father's kingdom. Are you picking up on this? I don't want to bore you this morning. I just want you to see how much Jesus wants us to shift our mindset to seeing God as our source, as our origin, as our father. In fact, in the gospel of John, Jesus said this, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and look at this and will continue to make you known. Wow. Look at the person next to you and say, who's your daddy? (laughs) A.W. Tozer once said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God, listen to this, is the most important thing about us. Because you can only truly, truly know who you are when you know whose you are. Does that make sense? Your picture of God is a single greatest influence on your life. I love this. Define God and you define yourself. Now, for some of us, we struggle with that, right? We look in the mirror. We, uh, you know, we look back at the past. We look at how we make wrong decisions. We, how we look at something like this. We respond to something like that. And so for us, we're like, how can you say that defining God is defining myself? Because when you truly understand who God is, you begin to come in line with who you truly are this isn't this isn't a try harder program i'm telling you right now we need to get rid of this idea that when we come to church and we say the prayer and we decide to follow jesus that now we need to make a list of everything bad about us and try to change that with our own effort it just doesn't work listen i I faked it for years you know I mean, I, I get it when you walk into a church and, and you ask someone how they're doing, they say blessed and highly favored, but I wonder how many people really believe that or if they just say it because I guess that's what we say. Wouldn't you be surprised if, if you ask someone how they're doing and they're like, my life sucks right now. What? I, no, no, just tell me the blessed and highly favored thing because I, I didn't really want to get into your life. I was just asking a question. I mean, how many have been there, right? You ever ask someone, hey, how you doing? And then blah, and you're like, wow, why did I say that? But maybe, just maybe, we should have more of a heart for people so when we say that, we really mean it. Like, what's going on in your life? And they feel that they can be transparent and honest and say, there's some stuff that's just not going real well in my life right now. Do you have a few minutes? Can we grab a coffee? Because i got to get this off my chest. I'm sick of pretending. I'm sick of faking it until I make it because as long as you fake it, you won't make it just so you know. I'm tired of coming into service and just pretending like everything's okay. Now, for some of us, maybe it's an awesome season. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. But for some, it isn't. And so maybe for some of us who it's a great season, we can encourage those for whom it's not. I mean, we, we have people in this congregation going through cancer right now. We have people in this congregation in the hospital who just three months ago could walk and move and they can't right now. It just, it's like things can happen so quickly and we can take it for granted. But, but what I'm saying is, can we be open? Can our heart be open to people or is it just too much work and effort? Because we have our plates so full, we can't think of trying to help someone else. And I'm talking to myself, but that's what kingdom is. You lay down your life for another. doesn't mean you have to necessarily you know, jump in front of a bullet. Sometimes laying down your life is just laying down those things that you consider the most important thing to you. But think, wow, this person's more important than that thing, so I'm going to sit down with them for a moment. I'm going to lay that thing down. Does that make sense? And so we're all growing in that. But listen, define God, and you define yourself. How you see God affects how you see yourself. I love this story. Further in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus is having this conversation and uh, there's two apostles mainly. He's speaking with his apostles, but Thomas speaks up and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Now, this should change your thinking a little bit. No one comes to their sense of origin. You see that? This sense of a spirit infused into you, except through me. Why? Jesus was showing us the truth of this. Look at this. He says in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. Now, these are huge words that sometimes we've missed. He says, from now on, say that from now on, you do not know him or you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because you've seen me. Look at this in verse 8. Philip says... Lord, this is amazing. I've got the revelation. No, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. <laughs> what? Look at Jesus' response. He says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He says it again. And he says, How can you say, Show us the Father? It's just back and forth. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's just like me. And they're like, cool, can you show us the Father? It reminds me of the old Abbott and Costello, who's on first routine, right? Who's on first? Who? Yeah, who? No, who's on first? It's like, what's going on here? He came to show us the Father, to show us our source, to show us our origin, to show us the one who has infused his own spirit into us. And when we see it correctly, it changes everything. So here's a big question this morning. Who is God to you? Now, you don't have to answer out loud. But just think about it for a minute. Who is God to you? Now, maybe some of us think that God is a bookkeeper who is recording all our sins. Perhaps someone told you, you heard before this story that when you get to heaven, they're going to play this video of your life. And all your secret sins will be exposed. Is anyone? I've heard this story before. I'm like, oh, crap. Is it VHS or Blu-ray? Or maybe he has a streaming service now, like it's Godflix. He has all your crap on Godflix, so he can just press a button, right? In full HD. I wish it was like 420p, right, And with VHS and all that. But, but the thing is that that's not how God is, right? How, how do we know this? Because Jesus is not like that. Jesus never shames sinners. Look through all the gospel accounts. Maybe, maybe they forgot to write that one story, but Jesus never shames sinners. He loves them. He has dinner with them. You know what he does? He introduces them to the Father. He says, I know you've been acting crazy. The first thing I'm gonna do is forgive you. Do you know Jesus was forgiving people left and right before a cross? Your sins are forgiven you. Now rise and be healed. Your sins are forgiven you and it was really irritating the religious establishment. Like, whoa whoa, they didn't listen. Their sins can't be forgiven. They got to come to the temple and they need to pay and they need to buy an animal cuz we need more money in the kitty cuz I need a new mansion on the hill. Okay? It was pretty corrupt then unlike now. But his whole point was, no, I forgive you. Why? Because that's what love does. In fact, you can only truly walk in the, the person you are when you know you're forgiven. Because when, when you think that you have unforgiveness between you and your source or origin, when you think you don't, you're not good enough and you're not worthy, you don't measure up, guess what? You want nothing to do with that God because you feel shame every time you think of even approaching him. But look at Jesus never shamed sinners. Why did Jesus do this? Because if you know your source, you will live differently. We preach it all the time around here. I don't do what some pastors call whack-a-mole preaching. What's going on in the congregation? Let's preach against that. Whack. Oh, what else is going on? Let's preach against that. Whack. I'm not going to preach against stuff I'm going to tell you about the love of God, his grace, the kingdom, who you truly are. And guess what? If you know your source, you'll live differently. It's just how it works. So again, who is God to you? Think about it. Who is God to you? Maybe you think that your sins put you in danger of an angry God. Because we all know that God hates sinners and plans to crush them under his feet without mercy. But God's not like that. How do we know? Because Jesus is not like that. I choose to follow Jesus. Not a man-made doctrine. I choose to follow Jesus. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. Right? Therefore, God is a friend of sinners, too. Am I messing with you yet? Now, the first place that people go, it's so crazy, they go, oh, you're just telling people it's okay to sin. No. Sin has wages. The wages of sin is... Death, right? Whether it's physical, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, sin stings, it burns. Listen, whenever I've got caught up in sin and thought, ah, I'm good to go, nope, it always caught up. There's always consequences that are built in. But God's not doing that stuff to me. Sin is paying me back. You understand? He's a holy, holy, righteous, just God. He can't be with sinners. Then why was Jesus? Because if, if that's true, that God can't be with sinners then Jesus wasn't God. (laughs) So God is a friend of sinners. In fact, he's the best friend a sinner could have. Can I get one amen? Amen. So who's your daddy? (laughs) Right? Who's your source? Who's your, your origin? See, I think some find it really difficult to reconcile the Jesus of the Gospels with the stern God they've been raised with. Jesus I like, but I'm not too sure about his dad. That guy's got some issues. He needs some anger management because I've seen what he has done. They picture Jesus as maybe the big brother who's sheltering them from the blows of an angry and abusive father. But listen, God is not like that at all. How do we know? Because Jesus is not like that. And Jesus is the exact representation of the father. This is important for us to see. Because for far too long, religion has prostituted the love of God by telling us we must do stuff before our Father will love us. And it's a lie. It's not true. Listen, I love my kids, and they didn't have to do anything to garner that love except be born. How many parents remember the day their children were born? You can't erase it, right? Were you emotional? Did you cry? Come on, guys. I could barely even see with all the tears coming down. And it wasn't because I was sad. It was because of the love that came through on that day. If your origin, if your birth, if, if your father is God, why would he feel any different than you as a human being it just makes us look at things differently doesn't it it makes me dig deeper to go what is really going on here when i read things like john 3:16 that you either perish Or have eternal life? And then you start studying history and scripture and language and it starts opening up. You're like, wow, this has nothing to do with praying a prayer to go somewhere in the future. It has everything to do with changing our minds here and now so we can actually have a life that is the best life here and now. It changes everything. And I'm not taking away afterlife from you. Listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How many have been there? No, because you're here. So none of us really know what it looks like. Well, so-and-so was on the Christian channel, and he said, that's great. Yeah, but I wasn't there. That's what he thinks. I don't know. I can't say it was true. I'm, I'm sure he thinks it happened, and maybe it did, but I don't know. What I'm saying is I know for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what about the here and the now? What are we doing about the kingdom now advancing in this earth, advancing in our personal sphere of influence, peace, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. That comes through us. And I, I look around at this world and man, I still see so many things that need to be changed. How about you? Hatred and anger and, and racism and retribution and payback. It's there, it's in our face and we can't bury our heads in the sand. We have to be kingdom people who sometimes we stand up and we say, no, that's not right. And we say yes to the kingdom of God. But if we don't see our source, if we don't see our origin, if we don't see the very one who infused his spirit into us, we'll just go along through life, still loved by the Father, still blessed by the father with every blessing from above, his face shining on us, but miss the point the whole time. And I don't want us to miss it because there's people around us, whether they say it or not who need hope. They need change. They need to see something differently. And listen, the systems of this world aren't giving it to us. As much as you love or hate Trump, it's, it's not bringing kingdom. As much as you love or hate Obama, it never brought kingdom. There's bits and pieces in all of us, but it takes us coming together and saying, yes, Lord, we see the kingdom. It's not just about America. It's about all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave you what was already yours. Whew. Words matter, don't they? And because we don't see things right, it has left us orphaned. It's left us messed up in this vicious cycle of dead works. Man-made religion says God is angry and must be appeased, but Jesus shows us something different, that God's face is shining on us with love and grace. And it's not just shiny, happy people. I've said before that love isn't just ooey-gooey. My love sometimes will discipline my kids to the point where they don't like what's happening right now. You're taking what away from me for how long? Right? So God's discipline surely isn't always ooey-gooey, but through it there's an unconditional love, and it's never to hurt, shame, or harm you. It's to bring change and healing and restoration to your life. He's in the restoration business. That's how I see it. And so John says to us, again, in his prologue to his gospel, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I think it's the message it says, and moved into the neighborhood. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from what? Think about this. When Jesus came, God in flesh as incarnation, he, he was showing us what we look like. See, sometimes we go, oh man, Jesus. Jesus was a man, but Christ indwelt. How many know Christ wasn't his last name? It wasn't Joseph Christ who married Mary and she became Mary Christ. They had a child named Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's the anointing. Do you know the anointing resides in you? Paul on the road to Damascus, he's telling his, his testimony, and he said that Jesus showed Christ in me. He awakened me to my true identity. And he was everything he was doing, he was doing in the name of God. Killing Christians in the name of God. But then Jesus revealed Christ in him. And guess what? Everything changed. Look at this dude. Went from Saul to Paul. Radical revelation. Complete infusion and download of the grace and mercy of God. Just this whole different way to look at things. It was awesome. But look at this. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. So good. So there's some really important questions we must ask ourselves, especially as followers of Christ. Now I want you to just close your eyes for a moment and just think about this. And I'm gonna ask a question, a few questions, and answer inside your head, not out loud, and then I'm gonna give you an answer that I see. Ready? Number one, who am I? Who am I? Answer. You are your father's dearly loved child. It's so simple that we miss it. How about this? Why am I here? Why am I here? Because your father loved you into existence. In fact, you are his dream come true. That's how he sees you. How about this? Can he forgive me for the things I've done? Can he really forgive me? The answer, he already did. (laughs) you don't have to beg for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. Just receive it. How about this? Does he love me for who I am? I would struggle with this one for years because if I could just be a little bit better, he'd be okay with me. Does he love me for who I am? Here's an answer. He thinks you're great. He loves you. You're one of a kind and he delights in you. Someone needs to hear this this morning. How about this? Will he disown me if I sin? Will he disown me if I sin? This is a huge answer and it's long. Never. How about this? Would you disown your own children? Last question. What does he expect from me? I wish I could hear your thoughts because I know there's all different answers going on right now. What does he expect from me? Here's an answer. To settle in his love and flourish and grow in his grace. Who's your daddy? Say it with me. Who's your daddy? It's just a fun way to say who's your origin? Who's your source? Who is the one who has infused his own spirit into you? Isn't that beautiful? One final verse today in Psalm chapter 37. 37. And verse 4, a couple weeks ago, might even be last week, I was listening to a message from Jake Stringer. How many know who Jake is? He's a pastor uh, down in Kentucky, pastor of Grace Culture. Uh, He's been here a couple times and uh, just an awesome dude, loves God. But he said something about this. I'd never seen it quite this way before in Psalm 37, verse 4. Let's look at this together. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Say that with me. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what? He will give you the desires of your heart. How many are familiar with that? I've read that I don't know how many times as a kid. And so for me, when I would read this verse, I would think, okay, delight yourself in the world. So, so if, I, if I pray a lot, if I read my Bible every day, if I go to church quite often, if I really, really try to do the right thing, which there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to know this. There's nothing wrong with reading your Bible every day. There's nothing wrong with going to church, praying, talking to God, trying to do the right thing. Nothing wrong. But I thought, if I do these things, then God will give me what I want. Throw a little extra money in the bucket. It's almost guaranteed, baby. Right? I mean, come on. You've been there. I'll get a little extra money. I'll be a little extra good. It's kind of like the Santa Claus thing. Right? Santa's a sickle. Come on. Think about it. You better watch out. You better not cry. Right? You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to talk. We're like, he's so wonderful. No, he isn't. He'll give you gifts if you're good enough, but if you're not, you're not getting them. And we've turned God into Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This word delight in the Hebrew literally means this, pliable, merry, or happy about. Get this, pampered delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's like the, the ooh and the ah when we experience that, that first time of dating someone. You remember that? The butterflies and the fire and the, man, she looks good. And you're like, man, he looks good, right? Like, remember those feelings? You're like, I still have those 18 years later. Amen, brother, amen. But it's that ooh and the ah in those experiences. It's the ooh and the ah when given just a precious gift. It's the ooh and the ah. This is maybe a better analogy, especially for me, uh, when you have or enjoying a gourmet meal. There been ood and odd? There's a place in Ann Arbor called the Chop House. Anyone ever been there? Oh my gosh. It's not just the food, it's the experience. It's amazing. Like, I, I felt like when, when the guy would speak, he knew what I wanted. He, he would ask the right questions. He would give me the right answers. It was like they were there before I knew. Like, how'd my water get filled up? There are magicians here. They hire magicians to serve you. It was just amazing. It's the food, it's the service. It's like this pampered delight. Now, think about this our relationship with God. The psalmist is saying, delight yourself, relish in this relationship, become intimate, be close, be ood and odd. By the wonderfulness of the Father, right? And Jake said this, and I was thinking about my own relationship with my wife. See, I delight in my wife, and in doing so, the desire for her increases. See, it's not about if I do things well enough, then God will bless me and give me stuff. It's you enjoy the relationship, you delight in it to the point where your desires are coming from them and you desire them more. She literally gives me the desires of my heart. She cultivates, she stimulates those in my heart. And Jake said this, I like this quote, I had to say verbatim, what I delight in gives me my heart desires. So it's not about, well, God give you stuff if you're good enough. It's when I delight in this relationship, when I relish, when I bask in it, what happens is my desires begin to change and they change toward him because he gives me desire. Can you see why our perception of God really matters? It's so important. If God is angry... If he's an angry, retributive deity who commands you to do his bidding and you never know know, quite where you lie with him or if things are well, will you delight in him? Probably not. Maybe run away from him or maybe just do what you need to do to keep him from getting angry or maybe to give you a little bit of blessing. But everything's been provided for you. It's a done deal. Why? Because he loves you. Come on. Is God, God, or the incredible hawk? You don't want to make me angry. We project so many faces on the God that are distorted, and he loves us so much that he's willing to even bear that false identity to spend time with you so you can see who he truly is. If you can identify what you're delighting in, that person or thing is what is giving you the desires of your heart. So I'm going to say it one more time. Who's your daddy? Who's your origin? Who's your source? Who is the one who has infused his own spirit into you?